Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. It is entitled, Doormats and Porch Lights. In my dad's house back in New York, <clears throat> the property was in rural upstate New York, and the garage was a good 100 feet from the house. And so the porch light came in real handy when you would come home late at night. You didn't want to run into any night stalking type critters, which were abundant, especially black and white ones with bushy tails that would go up in the air. And when you got to the back porch, the porch light also supplied light so you could see to put the key, <coughs> in the, the key in the keyhole. And so it was a great benefit. You see the path, you see the keyhole. And if you had groceries and luggage or whatever, it made it easier to get in and out of the house. And before you went into the house, there was a doormat. And you would wipe your feet on the doormat. So you didn't track mud and dirt into the house. And so the doormat served its purpose, too, <clears throat> in keeping the interior of the house clean. And it's interesting in the scriptures because it says we should be the light of the world, but it doesn't say we should be the doormat. Jesus said many things that we have to make decisions upon how it applies in our lives, in, in, in our relationships, whether it's at church, whether it's at home, whether it's at work. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He also said, he that wants your coat, give him your cloak also. He said, forgive 70 times 7. He said, love your enemies. He said, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And Jesus also said, judge not that you be not judged. <clears throat> and as we go through the scriptures, we find additional advice, such as Paul gave in the book of Romans. Mark them that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. And then in Titus, after three admonitions, reject the heretic. And in James, speak not evil of thy brother. And in James again, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's the tail end of a bigger subject. So when it comes to applying some of these, we can run into conflicts. What is right? If, for example, you had been in Germany and you were a Jew in World War II, and it says, love your enemies, or if you were a, even a Christian of Jewish extraction, love your enemies. Do you call up the local Gestapo and invite him over for dinner? Bless them that curse you. Do you stay in Germany, or do you 
flee. Albert Einstein was in Germany. He fled. Many didn't. My purpose today is to give some insight into the applications of these scriptures, to come to a better understanding of what Jesus' intentions were with these instructions and how he meant that they should be applied. Because if we act without understanding, we can make ourselves doormats. And there are serious negative consequences on being a doormat. And for periods of time, maybe in one or two incidents, we need to be a doormat as someone works through issues. But we're going to come to see, hopefully, more clearly what Jesus meant as we go through this. And step one in, in dealing with these things is we have to identify who we're dealing with and what's going on in their life. That's the identification of the, of the problem itself is sometimes almost impossible to get at, depending on how close you are. It's easier if you're a family member. It's less easy if it's somebody at work, because you've got all kinds of other factors that come into play. And so as we identify who we're dealing with and what's going on with their life, first, is it a church... A, a person in the church or outside of the church because you have a whole different set of value standards that are you going to be working with. Are we dealing with a babe in Christ? Or are we dealing with a wolf? Or perhaps a wolf in sheep's clothing? Are we dealing with a person that's going through a serious downturn in their life such as divorce, death, loss of a job, financial issues, foreclosure on their house. Is it a person that has a substance abuse issue? <clears throat> and one of the key factors one needs to know is, are they contributing in a positive way to their station in life. And this can be determined somewhat by their daily activities and what they're doing. Are they contributing in church? Are they contributing to their family? Are they contributing to their work? And that's an important part of problem solving. Now sometimes the problems are at work. Sometimes the problems are at church. Sometimes the problems are in the family. So how do we go about addressing these issues and being in harmony with what Christ wants us to do? The second step after we identify what's going on in the person's life is the attitude of the individual. And essentially, this is discerning the spirit. And this is not established in one observation or two observations. Sometimes it may take a period of weeks or even months. People, 
when they hate themselves, they hate their station in life. They don't like what life has to offer them. They're disappointed by what life has given them. Often will project out their disappointment and anger onto others and use others as whipping boys. This is a form of dissatisfaction and it can also be a form of revenge because of deficiencies in their own life and perhaps deficiencies that are a result of their own decisions earlier in their life. But it doesn't have to be that. If you happen to be born on the north side of Chicago and you're, I'm sorry, the south side of Chicago and you're black, and you're born into the hood and that environment, that sets a path that's very hard to break and get out of. But people have expectations of what they need and what they want. These are often emotionally driven. And if they judge others on whether they are, they being the others, are in compliance with their own expectations, they get on dangerous grounds. In other words, if I have expectations, and I'll get into this and make it a little more clearly, this is a little wordy here. If I have expectations and I decide a person is this or that based upon their behavior, either meeting my expectations when the other person doesn't even know what my expectations are, is that a fair judgment, fair assessment of the situation? If that happens. Sometimes those expectations are even erroneous. The person who has the expectation is expecting, expecting fulfillment out of a relationship. And that relationship doesn't give that type of fulfillment. For example, if you have an adult friend and you're expecting to get the type of love that a, that adult friend would supply you as your husband or your wife would supply you, your expectations are erroneous. An adult friend is not going to supply the same type of emotional fulfillment, happiness fulfillment, the needs that a mate would. Or if you have an, uh, a, an acquaintance at work, that person at work probably is not going to be able to fill your expectations as a family member would. And so if you have expectations for that person at work to supply your needs that your family would normally supply, you're going to be disappointed. It's important that these disconnects in expectations and fulfillment are recognized because then they can be put in their proper perspective. But if they're not identified, there is very little that can be done until the individual recognizes these things. To put it in more general terms and to try to simplify what I'm saying here, if an individual has mental or emotional issues based upon 
erroneous perceptions and expectations for what they should get from a specific relationship and how that is to fulfill them in life. They have serious issues. Serious issues. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or, if you love me, keep my words. What happens when men and women use those terms? I've heard men primarily use that on women. I've heard kids use it on their parents. If you loved me, you'd let me have the car. If you loved me, you would drive me somewheres. But there's a difference between what Jesus is saying and when that term is used by people. When that term is used by people, it's usually used cloaked in emotional blackmail. Perhaps you've heard of that term. Because the person using that and saying that wants to get something and they're trying to intimidate you into doing something for them. When Jesus said it, he said it in love so you can be in his kingdom and have all the blessings of his kingdom. When men say it, or women, or children, it's self-seeking. There was one story on one of the crime shows recently, and I think I mentioned this before, where a person was goaded into uh, driving a car. Friends called him up, hey, what are you doing? I'm not doing anything. Oh, well, let's, let's go hang out together and cruise the neighborhood. So, okay, let's, uh, let's cruise the neighborhood. Oh, by the way, uh, can you drive? Wait a minute. If you're a thinking person, and when you're a teenager or a young adult, you don't think of these things, wait a minute. They called me up and asked me to go hang out and cruise the neighborhood with them, and then they turn around and ask me to drive. Hold it, there's something wrong here, isn't there? If you're calling me up and asking me to go hang out and cruise the neighborhood, you should already have the wheels. You shouldn't be asking me. Anyway, this person did not question that, drove, and as they're driving along, the guy says, I'm pulling to this convenience store over here. And so they do. They, the two guys jump out of the car, run in there, do a robbery, come on out. They don't, the guy driving the car still doesn't know it. And they say, go, go, go. And the guy says, all right, I'm going, I'm going. And he's driving down the road. 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, they pulled over by the police. This guy didn't have a clue that they did a robbery. If you loved me, you would let me use your car. So step two, you have to discern the spirit of the individual that you're dealing with. If it's in church, you can ask, are they the fruits of the Holy Spirit or fruits of carnality? Is there an ongoing, continuous repetition pattern of behavior without any positive changes that are achieved or maintained? Now, in any person that is overcoming a large, difficult problem, this progression, two steps forward, one step back, Two steps back, three steps forward. But there always is 
an ongoing, steady increase of positivity somewhere. Always, there, is, there are indications of positive changes that stick. <clears throat> and this is demonstrated in the behavior of the individual. But a behavior demonstrated, let me put it a different way, the behavior cannot be apologies coupled with self-justification followed by more of the same inappropriate activity. Okay? Let me say that again. The demonstrated behavior cannot be apologies coupled with self-justification, followed by more of the same inappropriate behavior, because that's no change. That's self-justification. You see, the person that's really changing is saying, I sinned against God. God, help me. I mistreated this person. I spoke evil of a brother. So what actions should you, as an individual, take to be in compliance with the teachings of Christ? Christ said, Turn the other cheek. Let's turn to Matthew 5, 38, 39. Starting in 38. You have heard it said, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 39. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn him to the turn to him the other also. Leading into this, Jesus is talking about revenge, an eye for an eye. There's a problem with revenge, and that is there's no end to it. You see, because you take my eye out, then I take your eye out, then your son gets mad, and he says. My dad can't work and he lost his job. Now I can't go to college and so on and so forth. So he attacks and takes more revenge out on somebody. There's no end to it. It goes on and on. You killed my sister, I'll kill your sister. You killed my sister, that was my wife. My, 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 my son-in-law's wife. So then he's got revenge. There's no end. It goes on and on and on. So somebody smites you on their left cheek, you say, does it make you feel better? The right one's right here. They probably won't do anything. Of course, there's always the possibility you got a real hard head, too. They'll <laughs> take you up on it and do more besides, too. That's another issue for another day. He, so the issue actually here is revenge and how to handle those situations. And he that wants your coat, give him your cloak also. This is verse 40. Matthew 5, verse 40. And what's the real subject here that he's talking about? Well, we'll get there in a minute, as soon as I get there in a minute. Verse 40. If any man sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. 
The issue is, you've been summoned to court because your car drifted down the driveway and the brake wasn't holding and it crashed into your neighbor's house and he has a claim against you. That's the issue here. Forgive 70 times 7. This is a tough one because, again, it determines you have to determine what the attitude is of the person, the individual that you're dealing with. You know, Jesus doesn't expect you to sit there and just take the same beating as a, as a wife from the same violent man week after week or be submitted to emotional blackmail. Early in my working career, I was just out of college. I worked in research and development at Zenith Electronics Corp. We built, designed and built all of our own electronics for our research projects. And when we didn't have the parts we needed, we'd go down into the manufacturing area of the plant, and we would get our parts, and we had the right to do that. And we normally would fill out a transfer bill of material so that the cost of those parts were transferred back. But lots of times the guys down there say, eh, it, you're only getting five resistors there. They're worth a half a cent a piece. It's not worth the paper. Get out of here. But there was one fellow down there that had it in for me from day one, and I don't know why. And every time I went down there, he would be yelling and screaming at me the whole entire time I was down there. And he got so he would follow me all the way up to where I would break off and go up the stairs to the engineering and research division. And it was a big plant, and on several occasions, he chased me with a golf cart. And one time he almost hit me. And being a new employee, only on the job for a couple months, you know, I didn't want to appear like I couldn't get along with other employees. So I didn't say anything to my boss or anybody about it. I knew this guy was a union guy. Two months later, he was dead. Died of a heart attack at work. All I did is pray about it. There were three times in my life that I've had people that were aggressively targeting me. And I prayed about it. I didn't pray for them to die. But in three instances, in two instances, the person themselves died. And in a third instance, the person's son was killed. And that pretty much destroyed that, that man because his son was worth so much to him. So you see, God can take care of these things for us if we do the right things and we rely on him and we don't take vengeance in our own hands. I'm not sure if, if you have to forgive or if you effectively forgive if you don't forget. You know, that's a hard one. Somebody does something to you. You can forgive them, for, but you don't really forget it because the next I'm not going to trust them again. You know, you, they borrowed 100 bucks from me. They said they'd pay it back. They never did. Well, now they need another 100 and they're asking me for it. Do I trust them? I remember that last time they did. I, I forgive him for not pay, paying me back, but do I trust him again? That's, I'll leave you to figure that one out. Bless them that, bless them that curse you. <clears throat> do good to them that hate you. These are all in Matthew 5.44. Judge not that you be not judged. The word judge is, is condemning, if I remember correctly. It's condemnation. 
But there are multiple levels of judging, and throughout our lives we have to make judgments. The first base, most basic level of judgment is simply, oh, I have a feeling, I have a gut feel, you know. I have no statistical information, I have no education about it. I just have a gut feel. That's the real lowest level of, of a decision making. Yeah, I think there's going to be construction traffic over there on 169. I'm going to take it today. It's gut feel. I didn't hear any traffic reports. But you can go all the way from that to where you got facts. Or you got hearsay. Let's go to hearsay first. You have a, a third person. I was involved in this event, and this is what happened. So you have their story. Above that, and so you can make a judgment on that. Then you have eyewitness accounts. But you have both sides of the coin. See, eyewitness account. Somebody was involved. You've got to get both sides of the coin. That's another level of decision. The, the authority by which you're making your judgment improves as you go up, theoretically. Theoretically, what you hear from the media, TV, radio, internet, should be valid. Of course, it, we know it's not. And you have to validate that. So we have to make decisions. And Paul says that because he, Paul himself said, mark them that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrines which you have learned and avoid them. That's a decision. You have made a decision. And I want to point out something here. The book of Romans was written to the church at Rome. And if we turn to Romans 6.17, because I, I want to highlight this. This is because so often we think in terms of excommunication here. Romans 16, 17. Now I see, beseech you, brethren. It doesn't say, I beseech you, ministers or elders. It says, I beseech you, brethren. Mark them who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrines which we have learned. And avoid them. You see, I'm going to skip down to the actions that we need to take if we are a target, if we got the crosshairs on ourselves. The first one is to extricate yourself from the relationship, and that's what we just read in Romans 16, 17. Extricate yourself from the relationship. That can be a very difficult thing if it's a marriage with a divorce. It can be a very easy thing if it's some person you just happen to accidentally see every fourth Tuesday in July of every other year, you know. Be as harmless as doves. Generally, that's not too hard to do. But in some circumstances, you may not be able to. Paul said in Romans 12, 17 through 20, live peacefully as much as possible. So there may be a time or a place where people that are so insistent and so riled up that you can't live peaceably with them. But all of this comes back to some ba very basic principles. The actions that you should take get wisdom from God. God gives us a sound mind. I'm not going to turn to 2 Timothy 1.5, but that tells us right there, Paul, in writing to Timothy, tells us, God will give us a sound mind. 
when I, I don't proclaim to be an expert on psychological development or any of these issues perhaps that I'm talking about, but I have gone through some things. I moved into Chicago knowing nobody. Close your eyes and what do you see? I went from a college dorm, and everybody that's been to college knows what a college dorm is like. You got a lot of friends. Everybody's there. You have a lot of, a lot of activities, things going on. You move out of the dorm and you move up to the west side of Chicago, northwest side of Chicago, and you know no one. And you, so you go, to, you go to work on the first day into the research di division, and you think, well, I'll be able to make some friends there, and you find out the long, youngest person there is 35 years old with three kids. So you come home at the end of the day and say, this is the pits. I have no friends. I know no one. And so you see your expectations and whether you feel loved, whether you feel important, whether you feel wanted are all there. And if you go out to try to get some of those fulfilled through your job, you can lie to yourself and do that for a while. But I've been through that, that grinder, so I can speak about it. But I'll tell you this. God can correct the thought patterns of any troubled individual and give them the strength to endure life's situations. But as long as they are self-willed, seeking to lift themselves up to achieve their own self-determined expectations to fulfill the emptiness in their life, by their own carnal means, they will fail. They will fail. And he won't help them as long as they're doing it by their own self-determined will. One cannot undertake activities for the purpose of demonstrating themse themselves to be important in the eyes of other people. The purpose of activities, of your job, of, the, of what you do and why you do it is to develop your God-given talent and to contribute in a meaningful manner to serve God and man through those activities. It applies to church, home, or at work. And in conclusion, I just want to encourage any of you that are in those situations to take action, to extricate yourself from those situations if you deem it to be so. And to rely on God and not to, not to stop praying for the individuals involved, but also pray for yourself to have wisdom to deal with those situations. And he will. He will answer those prayers. And the key, I'll, I'll state it again, because this is, a, this is a lesson well learned years ago by me. You cannot, by self-will, seek to lift yourself up to achieve a set of self-determined expectations to fulfill the emptiness in your life. 